You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Andrea Staneda. She is a board-certified physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation with a specialty in interventional spine procedures. She practices in North Carolina, where she helps patients manage acute and chronic pain without medication. Thanks so much for joining me here today. I can't wait to hear your story. Thank you for having me, Amelia. So tell me about your journey into medicine. Um, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to help people. Um, as a young child, I was always there, you know, if um, some of my peers got hurt or even my grandmother was just making sure that they take their medications. Or I remember putting like diclofenac gel on their joints when they were hurting. So it's really, um, you know, and they encouraged me a lot, both my grandmothers to, you will help somebody one day. And initially it was like nursing and whatnot. You know, I grew up in Romania. It was uh, very humble <laughs> circumstances. Uh, during communism. And then as I um, went through high school, um, I grew closer and closer to science of medicine. And um, actually, my stepfather had a stroke very early on uh, in my life. And uh, he unfortunately didn't recover um, his deficits. And I was always amazed how, um, you know, he could still function. However, only one hand, the other hand was completely, you know, paralyzed. And um, from there on, it's, you know, long story short, medical school in Romania, six years, I got in and um, graduated. I actually chose a path um, in orthopedics surgery. Mm-hmm. And I was a resident in ortho um, when I uh, was able to move to the United States and technically start over. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. So you go through this experience. You have graduated medical school. How many years of your orthopedic residency training did you complete? Uh, two years. I was in and then when you arrived to the United States, did you begin again at the internship year phase? Uh, no, actually, it's a little different. The whole process, we had to take the, the steps, the exams, um, mm-hmm. as everybody else, and then um, apply for residency programs from there. Um, I didn't really know. I didn't have connections, I guess, so to say. And my focus was really on something musculoskeletal. I knew orthopedics is far-fetched <laughs> for an mm-hmm. IMP. But um, I did apply for physical medicine, rehabilitation, family medicine, internal medicine, kind of to um, to keep it as close and hands-on as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up um, matching into physical medicine rehabilitation. Yes. And when you did, what did you find in that specialty? So oftentimes where you might see that those sliding door moments, you know, where you come and shift into this space. What's it been like moving into that as your specialty? It was a great um, experience. Uh, however, great learning curve, cur- huge mm-hmm. learning curve as well. The whole system is very different from the European system. Um, and then, um, of course, the specialty itself, I like the hands-on and, and, and the 
those aspects of my specialty where I see results. Um, I like treating, um, as I, as you mentioned, you know, of course, I'm interventionist spine. I can see patients getting better, more, um, it's a little bit more invasive. However, I also enjoy treatment, specificity treatment with toxin injections, where it's so rewarding seeing those patients um, be able to function a little better or, um, or help their caretakers to take care, to, ease, to easily manage their care. Um, I also enjoy the um, amputee side of my specialty uh, when patients, you know, for whatever reasons they have um, limb amputations and then we get this fancy, you know, um, orth- um, orthotics for them and um, as well as um, prosthetics and they are able to function and resume life. And it is just, it's just amazing. It's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And what do you see in there? You mentioned this early experience with your own stepfather having a stroke and having these deficits that didn't recover. Do you see that you're kind of making some pathways back toward that, you know, helping those who may have similar injuries and experiences themselves now as a physician? Absolutely. Um, it just hit me when first I did neuro rehab uh, for the patients who, who had previous strokes or brain injuries or um, any kind of other injuries to the central nervous system. It really struck me oh my goodness, you know, this would have been him if we would have had the resources. Mm-hmm. So I always, you know, I have, it has, I have a soft spot in my heart for, for all those patients and I'm always like advocating for them and especially encouraging the patients because um, having the stroke comes with lots of, um, it changes your life technically. And um, just being there for the patients, educating them that you can get better, but you have to put in your part as well. Because I know myself, I was young. However, he did not have the resources. We didn't have the knowledge. And I was there as a child watching how he declined and um, just wouldn't, there was no room for recovery, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And noticing, just like you said, what he could do, right? Even with the deficits that he did experience and then noticing what, else is possible when you do have these resources available. In your work, are you finding ways to make these resources more widely accessible? We find that right in this country and in many, that there are these disparities of access. In your specialty in particular, do you find ways to reach a wide population with what you can provide? Um, I have been blessed, so to say, to work, do my training in a bigger center um, where we had all the resources and definitely lots and lots of help for our patients um, who had strokes um, and other other type of injuries, brain injuries, spine cord injuries. However, as I moved to a small town, so to say, um, lots of us patients get lost um, and they just end up in the nursing homes. And unfortunately, there is so much need uh, for those patients to have better hands-on treatments, as well as um, even after specificity develops, you know, we can still help them, but they get lost to follow, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that's, I see that, that here as well. I see that decline. Absolutely. And my experience with PM&R, you know, if I'm abbreviating the specialty here for those who are listening, is that it's a most osteopathic specialty because as you are treating, right, the musculoskeletal system, and we see that a lot in osteopathic medicine, but you're also noticing what are all those barriers to health for the patient in the world around them, right? And noticing that with your stepfather as well, how do you interact with the world, with the expectations, how your spiritual health might be impacted, right? If you were independent and you are no longer, how do you see the possibilities of caring for patients through that lens, kind of that whole person, mind, body, spirit support of them? I always try to um, speak to the patients as well as their caretakers, to see what resources are out there and um, try to keep those or set 
them in place before the patient gets discharged. Now, unfortunately, some of them who don't have good uh, social support, family support, who cannot go home right away, those are the ones who have a harder time recovering. And in my experience, they don't recover as well compared to the patients who have really good social support, really good family members. And then I always tell them, just bring in whatever they like. You know, if they like to read or they like to listen to music, bring it in, you know, um, play the music in the room or read to the patient. Um, if, as you mentioned, you know, their spiritual health is so, so important. I always ask them um, if they like to go to, in my training, we used to uh, accommodate patients who have their um, Sunday uh, services um, at the hospital and they would even come and the um, clergy, whoever, whichever preference they had, they would come to their bedside and, and talk, with, talk with patients. So that was so rewarding for me because I have never seen that before in any other uh, countries in Europe. And um, so again, looking at the patient from, as a, from a holistic standpoint, you know, emotional, spiritual, and physical, because yes, we can help, you know, with hands-on physical therapy, with PT, OT, speech therapy. Um, we get them going, we manage their medication, med- medical needs um, and make sure everything is... Um, as, as good as it can be, made them comfortable, they are not in pain, but it's so important to have that, um, that interaction with their family members, with their friends, even service dogs, sometimes would bring them, would bring them in and just, you would see these patients there, their faces would light up and, um, mm-hmm. and just feel much better and have a different disposition, even just for that day or for that experience. Um, but I'm, I'm really thinking it's very, very important for all these people, even the patients who end up in the nursing homes to have a comprehensive approach to their well-being, not just health. Absolutely. And just noticing that, right? What is the foundation? Because we're asking them to do these tasks, right? And do these physical things, but they need to have that whole person support. So important there. Let's get into the management of pain. We know that's a hot topic, right? It's come kind of through a big spiral in medicine where we were under treating pain then over treating pain and just inappropriately treating pain. And it sounds like you're offering some ways for patients to manage something that can be so debilitating, right? Can even mild pain, right? Chronic pain can be so limiting, you know, it can distract you from your thinking and keep you off task and cost you, you know, time and energy and attention. What have you found to be successful in this area that has proven so challenging in medicine? It's again, a comprehensive treatment. I always explain, explain my patients that we cannot, even I give you the medications, it, they are not going to work on their own. So the patients going in, I spend lots of time with my patients and explaining, if, even if it's um, an acute or, of course, it's a different approach, if it's an acute or chronic condition or acute or chronic, they had this episode before, you know, several times or five years ago and came back, but it's different. They are in a different health condition. Maybe they went through cancer before in this time frame, uh, or maybe they, um, you know, aging is, is a factor as well, or other health issues. So I always uh, explain to them, it's, it's a comprehensive approach. It's uh, reciprocal. I'm helping you as much as I can with what I have in my hands or tools and um, education. However, you have to do your part. And for the most part, patients understand, and they are so thankful to even breaking down why is this happening, the cause of their condition. I always go over imaging, um, their symptomatology, um, and then we come up with a treatment plan. And I, again, I try to be as comprehensive as possible, make sure that their sleep is right. You know, if I always bring up, you know, any kid, if there's a possibility of depression or anxiety going on or any health, you know, acute stressors in their lives, as well as um, 
we move on to medical treatment. Some sometimes, you know, medications are necessary, but not always. And in the same time, I recommend physical therapy, um, OMT. <laughs> I have lots of patients who have primary care um, physicians who are um, DO um, trained, and they are wonderful. We have a great uh, working relationship with those practices. And then we move on to injections as as needed. So again, it's a comprehensive treatment. I'm not the, I'm the last one <laughs> to start with medications, um, and there is a place for that as well. I have patients, and, and I'm honest with them from the get-go. Um, this is what I can offer. It, it happened even recently. I had patients who um, re- relocated to this area, and they have been chronic pain patients on these certain medications and asking if I could help them to continue or whatnot. And I'm, I'm upfront, and I would tell them, this is what I can help you with. However, unfortunately, I do not feel that this is the only choice for you. I'm more than happy to refer you to a pain management clinic where they – they can help you try to titrate your medications down, up or down, whatever needs to be done. Um, and the patients are thankful that they have a better understanding and they, that they have other options. And many times they just come back, they're like, no, I came off of that and, um, and please help me with what, whatever you have to offer. Yes, and so much to unpack there. And I love the opportunity you have to really share with them what is happening. So often, right, we have pain and there's a lot of subjectivity and we just let patients flounder a bit. So be able to actually show them what is happening, what the options are and outline that is so powerful. And how have you found the balance in being able to perhaps titrate them off of medications in that space? Does that seem to be helpful in your approach and more possible? Yes, I have a few, um, and I get it again, you know, some patients need to be on some type of either neuropathic medication or some kind of muscle relaxer, and that's perfectly fine. But for so far, with the patients who are willing to come off the um, chronic pain medications, we have had success. And um, again, it's a, it may be something where we have to go back and forth every two weeks just to make sure that you know, the patient doesn't go through withdrawals or any other complications, but it's a team effort. And the patients, as long as they understand they are willing to do it and they know they are going to be uh, better off and I'm there for them, <laughs> cheering for them and, and encouraging them, this is going to this can be successful for you. Um, usually it works out really well for the patients. And I'm curious, I've had this discussion in a lot of different arenas, you know, pain we could talk about as a feeling. And we talk about, right, thoughts as they contribute to feelings. Have you found any success either yourself or referring patients to do some thought work to support their mental health as they're going through the management of acute or chronic pain and the possibility for positive impact as they do address their thoughts around their current experience? Yes. Um, Again, patients who are open to understand why they are feeling the way they are feeling and what else, and which I try to unpack with them. I'm so thankful that, you know, I came in contact with coaching as well, uh, but almost a couple of years ago now. And um, as I work, do the work on myself, you know, I can, I can unpack. And when I see that little window in my discussion with certain patients, I definitely bring it up and I try to kind of slide in a little bit, you know, you may benefit from this, you may benefit from that. And um, many times patients leave very thankful that, you know, I pointed out different things or we came up with a, um, with a trigger, which makes, you know, which may not be definitely organic. It can be very, you know, as you, as you said, you know, just a feeling or a thought, uh, what brings their, their pain or symptoms on. And in the same time, I encourage patients to, uh, if they are not, <sighs> If they are not um, familiar with coaching, at least, you know, to look into um, counseling. And um, again, you know, I have, I have had success um, 
with collaborating with some of the clinics in town where I send patients and their pain improves. Mm-hmm. And I always found that because many of my chief complaints are pain oriented as well. And reminding patients that it's an opportunity and very clearly outlining that it's not a blame, or it's not saying the pain is your fault or that it's made up or that it's in your head, but that there are these opportunities to break the cycle, right? To interrupt some of those patterns and pathways. And so encouraging to know that they're being supported in all these ways when they come and see you. I'd like to take a moment and listen to your story in this transition from Romania to the United States and hear more about this upcoming project of which you are a key part, if you don't mind sharing. Absolutely. So um, it has been my 15th year anniversary on March 11th, uh, coming to the United States. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Definitely, you know, the process wasn't easy. It, uh, It takes, I guess, a toll on, you know, anybody and you're trying to um, build a life, you know, you know, brand new place uh, with very different from, from the European style. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, along the road, we, we met me and my ex-husband, we met people who were very nice and very helpful. And um, I always refer back to one of my uh, Bible verses that, you know, God didn't bring us here to leave us, but to help us and to flourish. And, and that was my goal always to, to build a life where my children would be able to um, benefit from, from other possibilities, better possibilities than I had when I was growing up. So that was my main goal. And um, unfortunately, we had some um, relationship issues. It, this is, you know, back to Romania again. I'm, I feel better talking about it now. You know, uh, I went to training. I was hoping things get better. You know, I'm now attending. This was seven years ago. However, things didn't get better. So uh, we ended up getting a divorce. And, and through those, you know, working the hours we work and getting through all that and raising children, you know how it is. You end up many times in a, in a place where you feel like there's no way out. And um, I'm just really thankful that I was able to go through, um, through therapy and counseling that helped me tremendously. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I, I learned about coaching, which was very helpful as well. Um, and here, you know, we are living some crazy times. And if I would have not had those experiences and kind of, build my strength from inside I don't know how the past year would have been um, I had had some work challenges as well with um, getting followed with the COVID and all that uh, so that's why I encourage always any everybody anybody who has any kind of thoughts of um, you know depression or just reach out to somebody reach out and, and get help because that's this part of our our life and I always um, advocate for for support for them mm-hmm. coming back to me um as you mentioned so i've been i have been working as an employed physician i have two children um they are flourishing they are doing really well and um the newest project i have become part of is called the warrior woman project it's a book written by 25 uh, women from all over the world we're 15 different countries and um it's very exciting <laughs> And, and scary at the same time where we tell our stories. So we all will have our own chapter, so to say, in the book. So that's the exciting news coming out next month. Yeah, that's fantastic. And how did you become involved in that project? Is there anything more you can tell us about the authorship and perhaps some of those who are collaborating? Yes. Um, so it's, it's, of course, it's a mastermind. <laughs> One of our uh, physicians we, we both know, um, mm-hmm. I have worked with her um, she's a pediatrician but she she supports children a lot and parents and how we can parent better and just just 
have a very good relationship with our children. And um, she reached out to me actually and um, asked if if I would like to be part of it. Without hesitation, I answered like yes. And then when it you know kind of unwrapped and unpacked, honestly, it felt uncomfortable uh, talking about my experience, uh, my life experience. However, I'm, I'm hoping, that's my hope, that somebody who will read this, um, they will get inspired and, or if they're in a similar situation, they will, um, they will ask for help and to know that they are not alone. The um, other uh, females, um, some of them are physicians, some of them are entrepreneurs. Um, we, are, we have different uh, backgrounds. It's just amazing. We actually formed almost like a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we have daily chats. It's it's amazing to to see and the support in this group, um, the 25 of us. And uh, just learning from everybody's culture, their background and how they, where they are and why are we in this. It's it's amazing. So our goal, main goal is to to support other women around the world, not just here, who have overcome obstacles. That's amazing. I'm so looking forward to this coming out. I've seen the promo videos and we'll for sure put the links in the show notes here. So everyone listening can have a look and get on the list for when it is released. In that process, I'm curious, were there some key moments that came out that perhaps surprised you that really demonstrate your unique contribution to the practice of medicine because of the journey and this transition you've made now 15 years ago into this country and what come up for you in that space? In this space, um, I think the biggest one was that um, I am doing the right thing Mm -hmm. by helping the the people. And I feel, I think first time this past year or so, I felt like I am in the right place. I'm where, where I'm supposed to be. Because you know how we go through training, you're always like, well, what's the next, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. And finally, I feel grounded. I feel, I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I feel, I get um, almost like, almost daily affirmations from my patients saying that, oh, thank you, you know, you helped me through this, you helped me. And it makes me, that, that's what drives me. That's what helps me to move on and, and learn new things and bring new things to the practice so we can help patients and just, you know, be a voice in the community. Mm-hmm. And that Warrior Woman Project, I love that you mentioned right at the beginning, it was the support and the encouragement of your grandmothers, right, to say, you will do this, you will help people. How has it felt to have those words with you as you've moved through this process of training and practice? I think of them often, um, definitely, both my grandmothers and many times in their guidance, they went, both of them went through um, Second World War. They were young females. And um they told me the stories firsthand, how they experienced the war, you know, back in Romania. And um, many times I remember, my goodness, if they were able to get through that, those times and, you know, get, get out of it and have families and uh, have my parents, then definitely I can do this as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those, you know, kind of strengths where you always kind of look back and almost you are drawing strength, strength from those thoughts, thoughts and those memories. Absolutely. Knowing that's the thread you have, right, woven into your life and coming with you, that's so powerful. And as you look at where you are today, and like you said, crazy times, and I know you've had some challenges with COVID yourself in this past year, how do you set forth? What's your vision in 2021 and beyond? My vision is to reach out uh, as many people as possible, help and educate. Um, I actually, I'm still going through the COVID 
situation, mm-hmm. something who came up health-wise, I was I was kind of surprised. However, I realized this weekend just thinking about it that oh my goodness, you know, we never know our time may be limited, and I just want to I just want to go full. At times, I feel like I, it's a little uncomfortable to put myself out there, but this weekend, I almost like came, it had like a, I had like a revelation, so to say, that I don't need to hold back. I need mm-hmm. to keep pushing. I need to keep educating people about their health and their well-being. So that's yes. what my plan is for 21 and, and moving forward. I do hope you get good news and swift and thorough healing. And what an important message, you know, to be fully yourself, right? To be fully who you are and speak your message and expand your circles of reach. You mentioned two children as well. I'm curious, what do the three of you like to do for fun and for your own health, body, mind, and spirit? Uh, it's, it's funny because we're thankful for the good weather. So we uh, actually did 5K yesterday. It's a virtual 5K for uh, oh, wow. my, do- my daughter's school. Yes, uh, we walked it. <laughs> I'm not back with, a, with my um, breathing yet, so I can, mm-hmm. I can jog and stuff. But we did it, and all three of us as a team. Um, that's we're so thankful. great. But that's that's our biggest one to to be outdoors as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Now we now that we have the daylight savings time ended, days are going to be a little longer, so we'll be able to take walks even during the day um, and travel. We're hoping for some more hiking. You know, spring mm-hmm. is coming. Um, that's that's our fun times uh, every yeah. weekend. Do something outdoors. Oh, that's so great! I love a five k, and I have to know how near are you to the water where you are in North Carolina. I am just less than two hours away. Oh, lovely. Yes, you get to go and visit the ocean there. Yes. Excellent. Well, as you are reflecting on your journey and on your practice and the clinical space, so important, so powerful. Are there other manners by which you are reaching out? You mentioned increasing this reach. Certainly this book project is one. Are there other ways in which you are expanding the way in which you're connecting with others? Yes, I have been on several podcasts before, Mm -hmm. local as well, reaching out even to our military community, um, as well as, you know, other female physicians just like yourself. I would like to get in touch with, um, we have a city council where I have um, the contact information to build, again, to appear more like in speaking um, engagements as well as um, in in the media. Mm Mm-hmm. And so important because we have expanded in this time, you know, nationally, internationally, but also what are those resources right where we are in order to have that impact, you know, locally is so important. And that's such a good reminder that there are podcasts, right, and still TV shows that are central to where we live. I love that reminder. Well, as you venture through, I'd be curious to hear how you see yourself for the health of all things. Definitely um, to keep up a comprehensive well-being. So we have to focus, and this is almost like every day I remind myself what is important to me. What is, like for me, it's really important to um, spend time with my family, but also to recharge, to be able to be there for my family as well as for my work, because that's very important for me. What that entails, entails, you know, either on the weekends, especially I try to draw one or two hours for myself where I can be, in my quiet place, that's how I call it. And I can reflect, I can plan, I can um, work through some things in my head, as we all do. Um, spiritually, it's very important, um, my friends, to reach out and make sure that, you know, we're, we stay connected. 
um, as you know, I'm very international, so I have friends all over the world, which is which is great, and uh, my family as well overseas. And then um, me and my children, another thing that we frequently do, you know, to go to church together and just be have that connection. Um, it's important for us. Um, as how um, what of all things again, I'm trying to to better myself in ways where I can show up as I would like to be. And every day my goal is to become a better person than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. I love that. So beautiful and such great work in all these different ways. So please do tell our listeners where they can find you directly in North Carolina. And if you have access and presence online, and then if you do have reference to the Warrior Woman Project, please share that as well. Absolutely. Um, So I'm on Facebook, Andrea Stanita. Um, LinkedIn, Andrea Stanita, MD. And uh, the Warrior Room Project um, is a Facebook page. You can find us there as well as uh, the website, thewarriorwomanproject.com. So great. Can't wait for that release. Well, thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing and for taking the time to spend in conversation with me here today. I'm so appreciative of how you're contributing to the health of all things. Thank you so much, Maria, for having me. I'm humbled and honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.